of Lamentations. Lamentations. Right to the right of Jeremiah. Now, no sheets tonight. Didn't have power to type up a sheet, so we have the infamous sticky note sheet. So, once I'm done with the sticky note, if you'd like to pass it around and look at the notes, you may. So... We're in Lamentations tonight. Now, it makes perfect sense to go into Lamentations because Lamentations is the book that follows to the book of Jeremiah. So once we're done here, we're just going to do a one-evening teaching in the book of Lamentations. And once we're done in Lamentations, we will then be done with our study of Jeremiah and the life of Jeremiah that I hopefully you've been blessed by, which is always exciting, which means we get to start something new. And uh, it's always neat to see where God's going to take us. So without much further ado, let's pray and we'll get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing and your guidance here. And um, Lord, just want to pray for everybody just out there with the storm damage and struggling. I pray that you'd be with them and just help them through that in all ways and all things. Thank you for the safety you gave. And we just ask for your blessing upon tonight. As always, let your spirit teach and just pray that we would listen. In your name, amen. Now, Lamentations, obviously by its title, is not very much of a pick-me-up book. When the book's name is Lamentations and the word lament is in there, it's really not a very cheery book. Real quick background, though, I have to share this. When Dawn and I first got married, we were trying to choose a book to go through just to do a couple's devotions with. And I said, I let her choose. I said, what book would you, the, uh, the Bible, would you like to go through? And she chose Lamentations. Which then I thought is because we just got married. I didn't know if this was like a sign of things to come or what. But I liked it because I thought she wanted something deep. She wanted something meaty. And this is a deep, meaty book. If I was making a sheet tonight, the title was going to be The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Because there's a lot of good verses in this book. A lot of neat verses. But there's a lot of rough stuff in this book. That's why it's called Lamentations. Background to this, if you would. We've been studying in the book of Jeremiah. We knew that Babylon was coming to Jerusalem. Babylon besieged Jerusalem for a couple years. The book of Lamentations is written during that siege. So if you're a history person, this is right between about 588 and 586 B.C. when Babylon is besieging Jerusalem and Jerusalem is literally dying right there. And so this book is a book of Lamentations about everything that's going on. Now, if we were reading this in the actual Hebrew, this book is actually written in an alphabetical order, if you will, from our English A to Z. Now, it doesn't translate that way over in English, but that's the way that Jeremiah wrote certain sections of this book. Now, once again, this is a sad book. And really, the first few verses just sums this book up of everything you need to know. Look at verse 1. How lonely sits the city. That was full of people. How like a widow is she who is great among the nations. The princess among the providences has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night. Her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into captivity. Under affliction and hard servitude, she dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtake her in dire straits. The roads to Zion mourn because no one comes to the set feast. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted. And she is in bitterness. And that just goes on and on and on about this is setting the scene of how wrong it is and how upset everything is. Look at verse 8 of the same chapter. Jerusalem has sinned gravely. Therefore she has become vile, all who honored her despise her, because they've seen her nakedness, yes, she sighs and turns away. Jerusalem is completely falling apart here. 
And this is a very personal thing to Jeremiah. Look at verse 12 of the first chapter again. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Behold and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. Jeremiah is obviously taking this very personally. I I will say this as a pastor out here at church. When you invest into someone spiritually, and maybe you've had somebody that you've had a chance to disciple, maybe one of your children, grandchildren, friends, what have you, but you've invested in them spiritually, and you see them constantly make bad spiritual choices, it breaks your heart. It really breaks your heart. And I know as a pastor, and I'm not trying to uplift what we do, you don't separate it. It's not like we get done here at church, and I go home and I say, fine, I'm not going to think about people or situations, and then when I come back on Sunday, we'll deal with it. No, when you take these things home with you, and you pray for these marriages and these hurting souls, and you see Jeremiah here in verse 12, he says, you guys can't even understand my sorrow. This guy preached to Jerusalem for 40 plus years. And they didn't listen. This could have all been prevented, but they chose not to listen. And they have no comfort. This is an ongoing theme in chapter 1. Look at verse 2. She has none to comfort her. Verse 9 keeps on continuing right here. She had no comforter. We can keep going. Verse 16. Because the comforter who should restore my life is far from me. Verse 17. No one comforts her. And verse 21. I have heard that I sigh, but no one comforts me. There's a theme. God, in a sense, has stepped back from Jerusalem on this. This is a sad day in the the nation of Israel. You know, this is where Israel ceased to be a nation. They just were done. Now, the amazing prophecy is Israel became a nation again in 1948. But at this time, when Babylon came and overtook them, this great child of God is now just gone. And there is no comfort. And that's why it's a book of lamentations. And it's bad. I mean, it's, it's really bad on how rough it is. Let's just pick a couple verses out right here. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. My eyes fail with tears. My heart is troubled. My bile is poured on the ground. Literally, his insides are coming out, he's saying, because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is grain and wine? And they swoon like the wounded. The children are starving right there in front of them. Stay in chapter 2 and go to verse 19. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift your hand toward Him for the life of your young children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. See, O Lord, and consider to whom you have done this. Should the women eat their offspring, the children they have cuddled? Should the priest and prophet be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? It got so bad, history tells us that they turned to cannibalism and that parents were eating their children because that's how bad it was getting. And go to chapter 4, please. Just a couple more verses. We don't need to belittle this point because you understand how bad it was. Chapter 4, verse 4. The tongue of the infant clings to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The young children ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. And verse 8 of the same chapter. Now their appearance is blacker than soot. They go unrecognized in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones. It has become dry as wood. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. For they pine away, stricken for lack of fruits of the field. The hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. What an awful chapter. I'm being completely honest, and please don't think I'm being unchristian when I say this. This is an awful book. I mean, it really is a book. Now, I'm not trying to make light of this, but that's why it's called Lamentations. This is is argumentably one of the darkest parts or points, I should say, in the history of Israel. 
Chapter 1, there is no comforter. No one is comforting them. Chapter 2, children are starving and parents are eating them. Chapter 4, they're cooking their own children to eat them. There is just absolutely nothing. There is nothing for them. Now, before we get to the good, we've covered the bad and the ugly here pretty well, and I brought you guys all down and depressed you. We'll get to the good here in a second. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about the time frame here of what we're talking about and basically the severity of what Israel was going through as Babylon is besieging them and getting ready to destroy them? Okay. Yeah, David. And I agree with you exactly what you're saying there, David. We have never been besieged physically by the Babylonians. We have never been to that point of hunger of that. My boys have learned this word starving, and I don't know where they've learned it from, but they say they're starving all the time, and we try to correct them. We have never been to this point physically, but from a spiritual standpoint, follow me when I say this, you have looked out the window of your life and seen the Babylonians circle your life. We've all been in that position. You have not actually have ever had to go physically turn to cannibalism, but there's been low moments in your life spiritually where you feel like you're in the middle of the book of Lamentations. We can all relate to that aspect of it. Now, we've all been in chapter 1 where there's no comforter. We've all been in chapter 2 where we feel like we have to turn to despair. We've been in chapter 4 where we feel like there's no hope. We, we can relate to that. But what do we always say out here? Always. And I have not found it yet in the Bible where this is not true. Wherever there's judgment, there's grace. Some of the best verses in the Bible are actually found in the book of Lamentations, which is absolutely fascinating. Back to one of my favorite verses is found here in the book of Lamentations. Look here at chapter 3. In the midst of all this horrible destruction, look at verse 22. Actually, jump back, if you will. Look at verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. What's Jeremiah's hope? Verse 22. Though the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in Him. Isn't that amazing? Every morning when you get up, God's grace, love, and mercy are waiting for you. See, that's the hope that gives Jeremiah hope. And I have had moments, you've had moments where you go to bed at night and you do not want to wake up. If God said, just take me, if you, if you could just take me tonight, Lord, it'd be fine. You wake up the next morning and guess what? His mercies are new every morning. That's the beautiful thing about grace and mercy. And Jeremiah, in the midst of watching children be cooked and ate and people dying left and right, verses 21 through 24, he reminds himself, every morning I get up and God says, I have hope in you, I have grace, I have mercy. That encourages. Look at verse 31 of the same chapter. For the Lord will not cast off forever, though he causes grief. Yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. This is not something God wants to do. And God says, I'm not going to do this forever. Verse 32, he has compassion. 
And one more in this chapter here. Look at verse 40, if you would, please. Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God and heaven. See, that's the whole point. If you feel like you're in a lamentations moment, a couple things. Number one, let's be honest, this is never a fun thing to talk about. Is there some unconfessed sin in your life, verse 40 of chapter 3, that you need to take to the Lord and have the Lord deal with that? That's the truth. Sometimes there's an area in our life, and the reason our world is falling apart is because God says there's an unconfessed sin in your life, and we need to deal with this. Okay, let's say there's not, though. Aren't you glad verses 22 through 24, His mercies are new every morning? See, and I can't make you believe that. That's just the truth. You can get up every morning and focus on how your world's falling apart, how your job's falling apart, how your marriage is falling apart, how everything's falling apart, your health is falling apart. Or you can get up every morning and say, His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. And I tell you, if you're one of those negative, pessimistic people, I encourage you to take verses 21 through 24, write them in about size 50 black font, stick them on your bathroom mirror. So when you get up in the morning, you remind yourself. Look at verse 23 one more time. They are new every morning. Just keep repeating that. They are new every morning. Every morning when you get up, there's grace and mercy, compassion and faithfulness and hope. No matter what you're facing. That's the beauty of this. And smack dab in the middle of this disgusting, dark book, there's these wonderful passages. Wonderful passages. Go to chapter 5, if you will, please. Look how this book ends up. Verse 19 of chapter 5. You, O Lord, remain forever. Your throne from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever and forsake us for so long a time? Turn us back to you, Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old. See, that's Jeremiah's prayer that ends this book, is, Lord, get us back on track. Get us back on track. I tell you, one of the scariest prayers to ever pray is, Lord, do what you need to do to get me back on track with you. That's a, that's a tough prayer to pray. There's been a couple times in my spiritual life where I've gotten off track, and I know I'm off track. And part of me wants to say, okay, Lord, I throw myself at you. Do whatever you need to do in my life to get me spiritually where I need to be. And as you're thinking those words, you're saying, don't you dare pray that. <laughs> because... Don't. I've read Job. I've read Lamentations. God's not mean. We just read that a few verses ago. It's not that he enjoys doing this. This is not what he wants to do. But this is what he will do because he loves them so much. He loved Israel so much that he allowed them to be punished like this. Now, if you haven't been with our Jeremiah study before, I can't convince you of that either. But that's actually love. If for hundreds of years God warned Israel, repent. For 40 years Jeremiah warned Israel, repent. God, even in His grace and mercy, said, I'm not going to destroy you fully. I will still bring you back because you're my chosen people. But there was sin that had to be dealt with. And God loves us so much, He's willing to deal with the sin. Go, if you will, to John 14, please. This is what I want to kind of finish with here. John 14. John 14. So we've kind of talked about two points here tonight. The first point, we've talked about the historical context of this. We've talked about how bad it was. The second point, we've talked about how 
Even in the midst of this, Jeremiah realized grace and mercy is still there every morning. And I don't care what you're facing here tonight. Grace, mercy, faithfulness, and hope is there for you. And whatever burdens or struggles you've brought in tonight, the Lord is there every morning. Every morning He is there to get you through that day. And that's, you got to think about all the times in the Bible we've seen it. It's a daily thing. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. God gives you enough strength to get through the day. Go back to the Old Testament. How much manna did He give them? Gave them enough manna to get through the day. See, too often in life we start worrying about things that are days, weeks, months, years, decades away. Let's just get through today. Jesus may return. We don't even have to worry about it. There's enough bread to get through today. There's enough grace and mercy, faith and hope to get through today. So anybody have any quick questions about those two points before we get to our last point here? Okay, this is what I want to finish with. That first chapter really hit me. Where it's mentioned there, one, two, three, four, five times, there's no comforter. No comforter. And as soon as I started thinking about that, I thought of John here. Look at John 14. And let's go ahead and read in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, that spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And that is just an absolutely amazing verse there, because that phrase, if you will, in verse 16, give you another helper. That word literally translates over to comforter. And I like that. Isn't that a fascinating idea when you stop and you think about it? When Jesus ascended into heaven, he left us the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And he said, that is now your comforter that is with you every single place you go, anytime, anywhere. Stay in John and go to chapter 15, if you would, please. Look at verse 26. But when the helper comes, once again... The comforter. And I even forgot one in there. Look at John 14, verse 26. But the helper, once again, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something that I guess, you know, I'll be saved 20 years this year. And I, I still can't get over this point. And sometimes I preach on this point and I have this moment of like, they don't get it. I even talk to my boys about this. And I just feel like they just don't get it. So maybe this is something personal for me and it just completely blows my mind. And maybe you guys are like, yeah, James, I get it. You don't have to keep telling us. I can't get over the fact that God lives inside of us. I just can't get over that. That anywhere I go, that the Lord has decided to take up residence in, my, in me, in me personally. I just find that absolutely fascinating. That God, when he ascended into heaven, he, he could have went back to the Old Testament way. Certain men, certain women at certain times had the Spirit come upon them. He could have went back that way. But he chose to literally have every one of us who has claimed Christ as our Savior to literally have the Holy Spirit live inside of us. So much so that Corinthians comes out and says that I'm actually a temple of the Holy Spirit. I just find that absolutely fascinating that God lives inside of us. And when I try to tell that to the boys... They just don't get it. Little Layden, who's three years old, every time I tell him God lives inside of him, he just looks at himself like he's trying to see it. Kenan, who just turned five, he asks, where? I said, well, he's inside of you. But, Dad, where? What part of me? They just don't get it. And I just love this idea. Now, with the idea of God living inside of you, I think it really makes you do one of two things. He's either the comforter that we just talked about. So no matter where you go, no matter what you're going through, God is with you, no matter what. 
Never forget that. No matter what day you're having, no matter how strong that pain is, be it emotionally, spiritually, or physically, God's the comforter. He's right there with you. When you're going through a very dark, depressing time in life, and no one else gets it, and no one else understands it, the comforter does. The Lord knows. And when you are struggling with things that you can't even verbalize to other people because of shame, guilt, or just you can't even put it into words, the comforter gets it. I love it. I love that. And and it's not that God was trying to tell us that once. He tells us that in John 14. He tells it in John 15. He tells us in John 16. He's trying to make a point. Then he comes back and reminds us in 1 Corinthians 6, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is a point he's trying to drive home. So I guess the side point here is this. Israel had no comforter. In the darkest time that Israel went through, they had no comforter. Aren't you glad as a born-again Christian, no matter what dark time you go through, you have a comforter that lives inside of you? Boy, I love that. Now, that's the first thing. It brings comfort. The second thing brings a little bit of fear. Because that also means every thought I think, the comforter knows. Every action I do behind closed doors, the comforter knows. Every show I watch, every song I listen to, everything I do, the comforter knows. Now, that also then spurs me on to say, okay, Lord, I don't want to be a hypocrite. My, one of my biggest things as a pastor is this. That I want to be the same person behind the pulpit that I am outside of the pulpit. Have you ever run into one of those pastors that where you meet them outside the pulpit, they're just a completely different person? Boy, I want to be real when it comes to that. And I think about that with the comforter. Lord, I want to be real with my kids and with everybody you run into because it's really easy to be fake. Really easy to be fake publicly. But when you realize that God lives inside of you in the form of the Holy Spirit, there is no fakeness. There's none. You can put on a good front. You can quote the verses. You can say amen and praise the Lord. But the comforter knows what goes on behind closed doors. And that, I hope, is actually an encouragement for us to say, Lord, I want to be the man or woman of God that you've called us to be. And that, I hope, spurs us on to say, okay, Lord, I want to live for you. Not just publicly, but privately, I want to live for you. That finishes up the study in Lamentations. There's a lot of ugly in Lamentations. There's a lot of bad in Lamentations. But chapter 3 is amazing. His mercies are new every morning. I tell you, if you have zoned out for the last half hour, and that's completely okay, God will forgive you sometime. I won't, but God will. But I tell you, if you've zoned out, if nothing else, just remember Lamentations 3, 23. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every morning, grace, compassion, faithfulness, hope, love, joy, peace. It's there for you in the form of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that is. Anybody have any final questions, comments about anything that we covered here in the book of Lamentations? Shirley? How do you get there? Get where? What you're talking about. With the knowing that God is living in you and the comforter, it's living really like it's so hard to remember that. How do you get there where you just know it? Well, when I get there, I'll let you know. Um, no, the truth of the matter, I guess for me, this is all I can say is... I think I find it fascinating that Paul starts out nearly every one of his epistles with reminding everybody that he's a bondservant, that phrase. And if you don't familiar with the term bondservant, bondservant means under rower. It was the lowest class of slaves. 
I guess for me, what makes me get there is realizing I am absolutely, completely nothing. And I don't say that as some type of humble pride. I mean, no, seriously, if you read Genesis to Revelation, we as human beings are disgustingly sinful people. I mean, we really are just awful people. Think about the thoughts you think. (laughs) Think about the actions you have done. We are disgustingly awful people. So, how do we get there? For God to still say, I want to come live inside of this disgustingly awful person, how could that not spur your heart on to say, Lord, I want to live for you? I guess that's what does it for me, Shirley. It's just this idea of we're disgustingly awful people, and God still says, I want to take up residence inside of you. That's love. So I guess that love is what spurs us on to say, if you love me this much, Lord, I just want to live for you. That's, that's what goes through my mind. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? Alrighty, I thank you for sticking with us through Jeremiah and Lamentations. Those are some tough, deep books. And I've been teaching out here um, for 16 years. And I've never done Jeremiah because I never wanted to. Because it was such a deep, tough book. And I'm glad we did it. What a blessing it was. And I'm looking forward to see what God has us get into next week. So, let's close with the word of prayer. And I also just encourage you. I don't know. I came in halfway through... Um, Announcements there, so I don't know if Rich mentioned this or not, but I encourage you, if uh, if you get a chance after the break here, or I shouldn't say after the break, after we're all done, go prayerfully take a look at VBS again. If nothing else, we just appreciate your prayers for all these kids that are going to be coming out here in just a few days. Anita? Have VBS set up? 9 o'clock Saturday, right? Yeah. If you want to get involved, we can use some manpower and ideas and creativity Saturday at 9 o'clock starting then. And if you want to come out and help with that, what a blessing that would be. Alrighty, if no one else has anything, let's close with a word of prayer and we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, good to be here tonight. And once again, we just give you everybody struggling there with the storm. Just uh, keep them safe and take care of them until that power would be restored just quickly and safely, Lord. Lord, for us now, going through these lamentations moments, um, Lord, just help us to truly think of you and that you would get us through this darkness. Just help us to remind ourselves your mercies are new every morning. Boy, thank you for your love and your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the example you gave us in Jeremiah. We lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.